Welcome back to the latest MotoGP podcast from the-race.com. Wow. Wow, what a season it's turning out to be. MotoGP 2020, we're five races in, and we've had four different winners now, with Portugal's Miguel Oliveira taking victory at the Styrian MotoGP race. Three first-time winners in five Grand Prix this year. Ducati's dominance, their clean sweep at Austria since 2016, has been broken by KTM, who rolled their bike out at the Red Bull Ring in 2016. Four years later, they go from rollout to Grand Prix winners at the same track. What a season this is turning out to be. After five races last year, the top 10 in the championship were covered by 65 points. After five races this year, the top 10 in the championship is covered by half that, 35 points. Toby Moody, Simon Patterson here to bring everybody hopefully up to speed with, with MotoGP 2020. What a race. What a last corner. What a boy, Miguel Oliveira. Simon, what a day. What a day indeed. It it's it's almost it feels like we're saying that too often this season in MotoGP. It feels like every day is a huge occasion. But you know what? It is. I cannot remember a season like this. It's intense, it's frenetic, it's given us so much drama, so much excitement, and it's given us lots and lots and lots of new race winners, which is just amazing. And Miguel today was just sublime. He did exactly what he needed to do. He was in the right place at the right time. The two old hands in front of him messed it all up and he just cruised past them and took the win. There were three different leaders on that last lap. Miller got the lead. He had the upper hand in the middle of the lap. Polis Bargaro, he had to have a go. He's riding. Of course. Because all the bosses are there, because it's Austria, because we, we know all of that. But the pair of them messed up on the last corner. Easy to say that from the safety of our microphones here. Paul later saying that he didn't know Oliveira was so close. Yeah. Might that have changed things? I think it might have. I think it might have. Miller, for sure, didn't know he was there. Uh, Miller admitted afterwards he knew that he had to be in the inside line. He set up the block pass. He couldn't get the bike turned, which we've seen loads and loads of times before on that inside line. He got it hooked around at the last minute. Espigaro had to hook it around later. And just as Jack was turning in, he heard Nyung past him as Oliveira rode past. And he did admit afterwards he hadn't been paying attention to his pit board. He's just watching Moto 3 races. He said, I thought there was going to be six of them come through. <laughs> six of them. <laughs> well, not, not quite. Not quite, Jack. Not quite. But I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, Miguel Oliveira, uh, six Moto3 wins, six Moto2 victories, and now one MotoGP victory. Um, he was second in the Moto3 championship, second in the Moto2 championship. But I remember way back uh, he, in 2011, he didn't even finish the season back there in Moto3 because the team ran out of cash. And here he is as a Grand Prix winner. What a little fairy tale. Not bad for a bloke who's studying to be a dentist. Absolutely. Brains as well as uh, as well as talent in a motorbike. It's fair to say that Miguel has been, I think you'd go as far as to say, unlucky all the way through his career. He arguably should have won two championships that didn't happen for him. And arguably both times got beaten by riders who weren't as good as him. 
you know, uh, Danny Kenton, Moto3, we all know how that story ended. And Miguel has only went on to bigger and better things since. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it was a surprise that he did it today, but it's not a surprise that he did it. And it's very, very nice to see an awful lot of hard work pay off. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was there when that bike did the uh, did the did the did the public debut in 2016. Uh, Stefan Pira, the CEO of KTM, was there. Pitt Byra, who is in charge of motorsport. Hubert Trunkenpoltz, the T of KTM, was there. Heinz Kinigadner, Harold Plurkinger, the head of research and development. And as they came past that massive grandstand, I looked at Hubert Trunkenpoltz, and he was crying, and he had his handkerchief on his eyes. And I felt for him, and I went, that's pretty cool, that. A couple of minutes later, the Austrian flag flew underneath that great big Huey, the Red Bull Huey, that came down the valley. And I thought, that this is something special. And four years later, those same guys are stood in the garage watching their bike. Different rider. Let's not hide behind the trees here for a minute. You know, right bike, maybe not the rider that they wanted. But they don't care because they've deliberately split their effort as so many works teams have now realized they've got to do by giving satellite teams proper kit, you get more data and you've got the chance of winning a race. And that's exactly what's happened today. That's the, you know, that's the the mind blowing thing about it. Whenever you think about it, really, it's only four years since the bike debuted, but they've already won a race for the factory team today. They won a race for the satellite team. Fabio Quadraro were on two races in Jerez this year and became the first person in 15 years to win a race on a satellite bike that wasn't a Honda. That's how rare of a thing that is to do. And KTM have went and done it today with Hervé Poncherel's team, who everyone laughed at not that many years ago whenever he announced that he was turning down Yamaha after how many years together to go and sign up with this little Austrian factory because they'd promised him better bikes. Well, I think they were right. I think they were right. We'll come back to Tech 3 as we progress. Um, What KTM have now lost is their concession as a new manufacturer. That's a rule, just to explain, that gives new manufacturers into MotoGP a step up. So instead of having five engines to do the whole season... MotoGP say, do you know what? We'll give you another two and you can have seven. So you can blow a couple up because you're experimenting. And you can build those engines literally the day before you put them in the bike. And you can go testing whenever you want within reason. Well, what's happened as of tonight, you now cannot test anywhere willy-nilly. You can now only test at Urta tests. You can test with your test rider, but only at your nominated test circuit. That's probably Red Bull Ring. Forgive me. I need to look that up. But it's only just that one. Whereas before, they could go anywhere, anytime with anybody. The, the, the reduction from seven engines to five kicks in at the beginning of the 2021 season. It's a little bit unfair to change their engine strategy mid-season. But there you go. And also their development will be frozen when they present those engines at the first race. But it's a good problem to have. It's a very good problem to have. And it's worth remembering that the test rider that they have is not a Stefan Bradler or Michele Pirro. It's Danny Pedrosa. Things are still going to be moving on fairly rapidly whenever they put only their test rider out to ride the bike. Uh, we spoke to Pitt Byer, uh, head of motorsport at KTM, a few weeks ago after Brad Binder's win. 
we talked about exactly this, um, what would happen if they lost their concession status. And Pitt said, we can't even dream of it. At the start of the season, it wasn't even something we were considering would happen. But we can't wait until it happens because once it happens, it means we don't need it anymore. We're there. And that's kind of what... One, the... Sorry, Simon. One thing it will do is save on budget because there's a lot of tests that they went to that were sort of under the radar. They've gone. So yes. the, the, the trucks can't leave, can't leave, <laughs> can't leave Munderfing. <laughs> I'll tell you another thing that it saved on. I, uh, a friend was speaking to a KTM mechanic this tonight who was one of the happiest men in Austria today because he's going home and not going to the Misano test that was planned for this week. Because now they can't test there with the factory team. So the guys are all going, put their feet up on the mm, beach. Mm, yes, yes, quite, quite, <laughs> quite. Uh, hey, you know, Oliveira, a Portuguese rider, first ever Portuguese winner in the top class of Grand Prix motorcycle racing. He's a top bloke. He gets it. Uh, I worked with him in 2017 and he's intelligent. He's very intelligent. You don't study to be a dentist <laughs> you know you don't turn up with a ply you don't exactly. turn up with the pliers do you out the toolbox <laughs> um and he get it i was at silverstone mother gp that wet one in 2015 and my wife was elsewhere in the circuit and it was pelting with rain rossi won the race james hayden and i commentated for bt sport in 4k that day and we course, and we had a yeah, we had a that. great days racing. Danny Kent won the little race, etc., etc., etc. And Rossi won out of nowhere. Petrucci on the podium. Blah blah blah. And I came out of the box and I went across the car park and I was getting soaked. And I saw him in a hire car and I've just said, "Mate, can you give me a lift?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, jump in." And I said, "You only need to take me three quarters of a kilometer over there." And he said, "Yeah, sure." Silence. His father. Silence. I said, not a good day. And he said, no, because I think he'd fallen off and he'd made a right horlicks of it. Yes. And it was like, oh, dear. And I said, okay, thanks, and got out. And I saw him at a race later, and he said, oh, I'm sorry about that, whatever. But And then here he is, he goes and wins the race. I think it's a fairy tale. And again, like Brad Binder, what a shame that his family weren't there because they've always been there, really there helping, and but clever enough to stay not front of house, a little bit further yes. back. You don't often meet a bad Portuguese guy, and he's certainly one of the top guys. He does have a huge benefit over uh, Brad Binder this year, though, because he, unexpectedly, is having a home race this year. We're going to Portimao. That's going to be... If, if the level of enthusiasm and passion that I get of Portuguese fans on social media is anything to be trusted as the bigger picture that race weekend is going to be absolutely mental let's just hope they're allowed in by the time we get to november the 22nd uh, yes that's that's quite something um when was the last time a motor gp bike went to porto mayo hmm I don't think a MotoGP bike has ever went. I wonder who's going to go testing there, if anything. There's another scenario. There is there is, there is a test planned. Uh, test teams are going because Michelin need data, as per usual when we go to a new track. So there is a test planned, but I think it will be the Pedrosas, the Bradles, the Piros, the Gintolis. Probably not a bad thing to not let the riders there. Um, no, it's just, just spice it up a bit, you know, just spice it up a bit. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, yeah no, I know your point. I, I'm I get just, your point. I'm not being a, the, the cream will always rise to the top, I suppose <laughs> is what I'm saying. There's a, there's a thing I've got about testing. Yes. All it does is make the grid a second quicker. 
the order will still be the same. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing is, for the MotoGP riders themselves, they won't have time to go because we've got nine Grand Prix in 11 weekends coming up. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> you you think, you, you uh, the guys in the paddock, they think they've had it tough, you know, five races in uh, six weekends. Well, there's nine in 11. That's brutal. That's really brutal. And let's be honest, the, the five that we've had have not been easy sailing. I counted yesterday that out of the 22 riders in the grid, seven have now been hospitalized at some point in those five races. We always knew it was going to be a war of attrition this year, but it's just the tension of it has just ratcheted it up at another level. It's I've never experienced anything like it. So there's a two weekend break after this second Austrian Grand Prix. Then it's Misano one and two back to back with Barcelona. That's a trio. Then there's another triple header, Le Mans, Aragon, Aragon. Another weekend off. Then it's Valencia, Valencia, Portomayo. And it's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as quick as that. Pretty much. So, And it will fly in. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. But I tell you what, I take my hat off to everybody involved in MotoGP and the paddock and the guys making the, the bikes, putting the bikes together, the teams, everybody. There's... They're, they're hard days, hard, long days, but they're making it happen for the fans and us all over the world to experience something, well, out of this world, out of this world. It just, yeah. And like, what a season. You can never get tired of saying it. No, not at all. Just coming back then to the Grand Prix that we've just seen Miguel Oliveira take with the victory. Miller versus Paul Espargaro with Oliveira right on, on their tail on that last lap. In if it was Formula One, I was saying this to somebody earlier, if it was Formula One, it would be it would be Haas. That, let's say that's Miller. Yeah. Renault in the shape of Paul Espargaro. They're in their abouts. Yeah. They're in their abouts, yeah. but not tugging. Yeah. An Alpha Tauri. <laughs> but it, yeah. but it would be Alpha Tauri who came through to win. Pretty much. Yeah. It's you couldn't write the script for that, could you, in F1? <laughs> you, could, you couldn't, no. <laughs> no one would believe you if you if you predicted that in F1, but here we are. That such is MotoGP 2020. And here's the thing. All three of those guys started the race as potential winners. Mm, absolutely. You know, it, it Really, it, it was a surprise, sure, but it wasn't out of the question. Paul Espargaro... I know the bonus that he had lined up if he won a Grand Prix, it would be, and it wasn't financial, it was a present. Mm. Um, and it was very nice. Maybe it still ah. stands. I'm sure it does. Um, it'll have to wait another day. He will win a Grand Prix, but that one was there. And after Bruno and after Austria won, et cetera, et cetera, he was magnanimous. Uh, he shook uh, Oliveira's hand in, in Park Ferme, but he'll just have to wait another day. Miller's, Miller, isn't he? He's a bit like, oh, well, there you go. I didn't maybe expect to be even be on the podium, so I'll have it well, anyway. I think when, when Jack woke up this morning, he didn't because of the damage to that shoulder from yesterday's crash qualifying. He woke up this morning not really knowing what shape he'd be in, got in the bike, turned out, eh, it's not so bad. Gritted his teeth, took a couple of paracetamol, knocked out second place. <laughs> As only an Aussie can. As only an Aussie can. He'll be great in that works to Cathy team next yeah, year. Yeah, he will. Uh, Vinales, another championship runner, scoring no points after Austria 2. 
catastrophic brake failure that brought out the red flag uh, mid-race. His second close call in eight days. He jumped off the bike at 210 kilometres an hour, 125, 130 miles an hour. Incredibly, his helmet didn't even touch the ground. It won't even have a chip of paint missing off it. I had to look at the replay again to check that my eyes were correctly functioning. Normally, everything gets knackered and broken and chipped and scuffed, but only his leathers. Unbelievable. Uh, the analysis of him not tumbling is obviously there. Uh, Tarmac is best. Kangaroo leather, they are covered with that. It is their friend. But there was a clip when they came back into the pits after that red flag with Quattararo on board and he gestured something to Valentino on his left, pointing to the brake lever like, are you having trouble? And Valentino nodded his head. So if all Yamahas are having brake trouble, that's really, really concerning. So what have they done that's on engine braking or something or other, or that then pushes the envelope of the weakest link next to the, to the brakes potentially? So they're doing more braking than engine braking to save engines or whatever. That's something I'm going to catch up with Neil Spaulding with in the next couple of days. But it's pretty worrying that potentially all Yamahas are having the same problem. It's It sounds like it's exactly what you say. It's something to do with uh, taking pressure off the engine braking, transferring it to the brakes. From what we understand, I'm waiting to speak to Brembo later this week. So this is only, this isn't 100% fact. This is what I understand at the minute happened. Last weekend, Fabio Quattararo and Valentino Rossi had problems with brake fade, where the brakes were letting go on them, but they never actually failed. They both switched, and Franco Morbidelli switched to Brembo's new 2020 spec caliper, which has more cooling. The fins on it. The fins on it. They switched it, which Brembo reckon in every way is better, but you know what riders are like. Sometimes they don't like the feel, so they're a little bit set to change. Maverick didn't switch. He ran today's race with last year's caliper design. And what actually happened at turn one was not that his brakes faded and stopped working. It's that his brake system, he described it as an explosion. From what I can gather, the thing is bound so tight that the disc has exploded. Alex Marquez was behind him and got hit by shrapnel. It is a complete spectacular failure of the entire front brake system because they were putting so much pressure through it to try and slow those bikes. It is... It isn't a complete disaster because of the circuits we're going to next and the fact that it won't be so much of an issue at Mizano. But, man, are Yamaha in a world of hurt at the minute. Especially considering this is something that they have in part caused by the engine problems and subsequent... Limp restrictions. Whenever I get on a quick bike or in a quick car or a, a, or a hill climb, competitive hill climb car or a track day bike, it's just nice to know that the brakes work. You 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 know you can really stand on them if you're in real trouble. You can worry about you know leaning and suspension yes. and setup and tire pressures later, but you you want to know about the brakes. That's that's really worrying. But they've got the best in the world and they've got two weeks to. Three weekends to sort it. Three weeks to sort it out, and they will. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. It is. Austria is a big stop circuit. 
it's a big stop circuit. Yes. You know, first corner. That... On the Brembo scale, Austria is a five out of five. It's one of the very few. I think it's it in Coda. Even more so than Mategi, where they usually need the bigger discs. Yes. Hmm. As you say, a world of pain. Um, but they'll get themselves out of it. They they always do. Yeah, they always of course. will. But for Vinales, wow. Yeah. Um, it was ironic as it was being pulled out of the burning air fence, or should I say, once the the, the the flames had been put out, that the only thing connecting the front wheel to the bike were the brake lines. <laughs> well, at least something worked. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, and another man in a, you know, a little bit of a world of pain, but in a different way, Juan Mir. Yeah. He goes from winning here in Moto3 in 2016 to a two and a half second lead. He's in the Polish Bargaro boat this time last week of after Austria won of having the race completely under control and then it's taken away from him. But wow, he's a boy, he is. Even more so in the Paul Espargaro boat because the reason that he was nowhere in the restart was because they hadn't saved a front tyre. He had to get back out in the same tyre that he'd been on, 18 laps in the front tyre when he started the 12-lap restart and he was never going to challenge. So no lessons learned there and you've got to feel sorry for the guy because the win was his. Everyone, you know, whenever whenever the first thing Paul Espigaro says after the race is, I feel sorry for one mayor, you know it was fairly bolted on. And what did you say earlier the last time we had two red flags back to back in a big race? <laughs> uh, middle of the season, 1996, Assen and Nürburgring. That's 25 seasons ago. Doesn't happen very often. Doesn't happen very often. Uh, no, it doesn't. I had hair. <laughs> that was a long time ago. My goodness me. Um, so, I said it eight days ago on Twitter. This is just going to be one of those years, isn't it? Who is going to win the most open championship in years or even ever? Let's go back to Mark Marquez. He's out now for two, if not three months after a statement that came out over the weekend saying just that. Yeah. That came out of the blue. It's obviously worse than we thought we knew or whatever. We're no doctors. We only have to be given the information from Repsol Honda, from Team Marquez. I mean, will he, will he even ride before the end of the year? Nobody knows at the moment, but he's out for a while. Yeah, we, we've heard some rumours for a while that things were maybe not quite as rosy as we'd been told, that he wasn't just going to jump back in the bike of Mizano and uh, go fast again. I did some digging this week. I spoke to Honda, and the next thing we know, we get a statement saying, yeah, it'll be two to three months. Um, that, to me, suggests that there's nerve damage. That is going to take a while to heal up. And to be honest, two to three months, the far end of that scale puts us Valencia, uh, which is the penultimate round of the year. Uh, 23rd of August today, 23rd of yeah. November is the Monday after Portomayo. Ah, well, there you go. So if, if you were feeling 95% fit with two races left, would you not just sit out the season? After the warning he got at Hareth too, when that plate got bent and set him back so much I don't think we'll see him this year but he wants to ride the bike because he wants to just check it's okay he wants to get it into his head before he goes to the testing ban over the winter he wants to believe he can do it he wants he's he's only ridden one race this year a bit of testing but you know 
each oh it's that dilemma of your head and your heart and the doctors and the bone and the nerve and the hmm, yeah well we'll just have to play that uh, week by week absolutely we, what what it has opened up is this most competitive championship for years we've we're going to have a new championship winner yeah. Unless Valentino Rossi can win it, because at the moment he's the only person in the MotoGP championship table who has won a MotoGP Isn't championship. That incredible. <clears throat> so let's have a look at the top 10 of, in the championship at the moment and who has won a Grand Prix World Championship. Davizioso, 125. Vinales, yes. Moto 3. Valentino, 7 in the top class. Juan Mir, Moto 3. And Polis Bargaro, Moto2. <laughs> they are our championship winners in MotoGP at the moment. That's five out of the top ten. And only one of them, as I said, has won in the big class. Wow. Remember, Quattararo hadn't won a Grand Prix until the beginning of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Premier class Grand Prix. Premier class Grand Prix. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Premier class. He'd won one before. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's uh, it's quite something. It's quite something. Tech 3 were Yamaha Tech 3. Now they are Red Bull KTM Tech 3. Their last race victory was the last race of the 2000 season. Right? No, wrong, because I had to look it up. It was actually Yuki Takahashi in Moto2 at Catalonia in 2010. That had slipped my mind. So basically, in the last 20 years... They've had one Grand Prix victory in the in the middle class with Takahashi-san. Uh, Olivier Jacques, Shinji Nakano, uh, Chesterfield, Silver, Yamaha, YZR250s, they dominated the championship. Jacques won the, the, the championship on the last corner at Phillip Island in 2000. They went into the big class with YZR500s. They nearly won the Saxon Ring Grand Prix with Olivier Jacques back in 2002. Um... They've been there. They've been a satellite team. Can you imagine what it feels like? Hervé must be like, oh, well, do you know what? The boys can run the team for the rest of the year and I'm going to go on my boat. Hervé, Hervé said tonight that uh, he's been running a team for 40 years and he genuinely thought he was going to retire without ever being a Premier Class winner. Which, you know, so to see that happen, to see that absolutely fantastic bunch of people that he has around him under the command of one of the friendliest gentlemen in the paddock I don't think there's going to be anybody in the paddock tonight upset to see Hervé winning a race. There's not many MotoGP team principals who used to live in South London but he's one of them <laughs> Yeah I'd and and is still very very much uh, sort of tuned into what's going on in the UK. And we would, uh, you know, I'd go for an interview with Hervé, and we'd spend the first fifteen minutes discussing the latest ins and outs of Brexit, because obviously he's a European that used to live in London, so he's very engaged in it. He is, um, yeah, he is a man of many cultures, is our Hervé. I hosted a Yamaha launch at Paul Ricard. Back in the Carlos Checker days, it was about 0102. And we had an Estoril Grand Prix that weekend. But we had to do the launch on the Monday afternoon at Ricard. So Yamaha got a private plane to go from Lisbon to Ricard Direct. 
and there was Carlos Checa, there was probably Nakano, and there was Hervé Ponsoral and Lynn Jarvis, and a few, and Alex Barros as well, and a few others, and we all thought of it, and we had a great, a great laugh. And it was very, very late by the time we got to the hotel. It was one, one thirty in the morning, and we were hanging. And we walked, we walked down this path, and it was quite dark to get to reception. And as you know, south of France, early September, it's still quite warm, and all the, all, all the. Uh, all the frogs went outside this hotel. And Lynn Jarvis was behind me. And I said, Lynn, what's that? No, I said, uh, Hervé, apologies. Hervé, what's that noise I can hear? And he said, Tubby, they are the frogs. And that's all he needed to say. <laughs> I got him. I don't think I've ever seen Lynn Jarvis laugh so much. I set him up hook, lion and tinker. And he goes, Oh, you! Uh, he knew all the words, and he was telling me off. But we were crying with laughter. Yeah, I'll never forget that. It was just the moment. But he—he's got a great sense of humour, and he—and he's so passionate. He and they all, you know, that team—they're very closely knit. And of course, with Guy Coulon, I mean, I mean, he was there when Petra was invented. <laughs> he's just fantastic. He's the mad professor, professor who, who went and made a what a V six two stroke. Yes, because he can. Because he wanted to. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite Guy Claude stories is uh, I remember going to do a Bradley Smith debrief one night at a test in Qatar. So it's like test, no one there, all a bit more laid back than a race weekend. Get to the back of the garage to do the debrief. Bradley comes out. Guy is sitting in the step at the back of the garage, angle grinding a part of the footrest. Bradley comes out, looks at him, and just goes, Guy. We're supposed to be a factory team and you're surrounded by journalists. At least pretend that we're professionals. <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> he does not care. And, you know, Japanese engineers had spent thousands of yen and, and thousands of hours developing this part. And he looked at it and thought, nah, I can angle grind that into something better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't it great? <laughs> Oh, what a popular win! You've got to, you've got to feel for them, you know. And people like, people like Stevie Blackburn was there in in Park Ferme, uh, British guy, British mechanic. He was the guy with the bald head. You'd know his face if you've been watching on TV from anywhere around the world. He was at Team Roberts Yamaha. Yeah, way way back. He's done this for thirty years plus, and now since he's left. Team Roberts Yamaha, you know, won a Grand Prix, and that that's just fantastic for him. Um, you know, he's a friend of this podcast, so uh, so yeah. But there's a there's a melange of nationalities in there. Um, the KTM guys, obviously, some of them helicopter over and drop in for the weekend with with engine strategy and such like. So everybody's there. They had a great big team photograph after the race and uh, KTM management certainly will not forget this for a while. So, uh, so yeah, but that really sets us up to, to why it's working, why and how MotoGP has got this right now. It's working well with the factories throwing more effort and resource into their satellite teams rather than just giving them last year's bike. I touched on that earlier and we need to really sort of talk this through. This is, to me, a common sense way of going racing. Why, why make a team deliberately second string? Why just have them going round? What happens if your two works bikes have someone else's crash? Uh, 
get caught up in, you know, da, da, da. and they're there. And that's exactly what's happened today. They were there. Yeah. yeah. And, and not just today, because whenever you look back through the history of satellite victories, you know, how many of Cal Crutchlow's wins have come because Marquez has done something stupid? And then, oh, look, there's a fast satellite Honda there ready to pick up the pieces. Arguably, all three of Cal's wins have come that way. Now, this goes all the way back to sort of 2012, 2013. We had a few Grand Prix with yeah. only 14, 15 bikes on the grid. It was a bit of a low point. I looked at a picture the other day and I was shocked at how sparse the grid looked as the as, as the light as the flag dropped crt yes. that claiming rules team thing it was a bit of a superbike with bits on it it was a grid filler for years um you know peter clifford had an argument about you know how sort of superbike he could go etc 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 but it was it, yes. it, it's it stood mother gp in in such good stead at the moment or is it the fact that mark is not here it's Yes to both of those questions. But as Oliveira said after the race, everybody's now realised they can win this. And that's a feeling that they've never had before. Yeah. And that feeling won't go away next year just because Marquez comes back. That's the beauty of it. Once these guys have got used to winning, I genuinely believe Mark Marquez is going to come back and discover, oh, the level's moved on. This isn't the championship I left. And that's going to be amazing for everybody. Hmm. It's really the best thing we could have hoped for. You're about. absolutely right, yes. And once people have tasted that sip out of the cup, ooh, is that what it tastes like? And that's why, you know, people like Paulus Bargaro are so desperate to have a taste of that winning champagne to uh, to get the buzz, to get the buzz. Whew, well, um, where to go? Where to go, Simon? The answer is, what we're going to do is... Because there's no MotoGP for the next two weekends before nine races in 11 weekends, what we're going to do is throw the next podcast out to you guys listening. We're going to do a question special. So send in your questions. Look through our Twitter accounts at We Are The Race, at Toby Moody, and I'm going to get this right, at Denkmit. Well done. D E N K M I T. <laughs> I've got it right first time we didn't have to re-record that um, at Toby Moody or as the Spaniards would spell it T-O-D-Y-M-O-B-Y um, they, 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 they did that once at the end of season uh, review video that I voiced and we, we finished it off on the Sunday night of the last Grand Prix in Phillip Island in 1997 and they said we'll just put the graphics on the bottoms on the master and I saw them come up and I said but that's not my name. You've spelt it wrong. And they said, but yes, it is. And by the way, it's too late. <laughs> because, of course, they, they are so used to saying, Toby, 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 Toby. It was very, very similar, sort of like this. So uh, we, we laughed about that. It's not a criticism. It was just 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 the, yeah. uh, the way that it came out. So we are the race at Toby Moody at Denkmit. What we will do, we'll, we'll put a shout out for you to send in your listener questions and then maybe we'll get Neil Spaulding in as well or maybe we'll do one together, you and I, Simon, and one with Neil or yeah. who knows how we, how it's going to go. So uh, keep your eyes out on Twitter for, for that. Simon, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. 
Is this one of those crazy years of MotoGP? Because in 2000, we had eight different winners. In 2016, there were nine different winners. And here we are in 2020, five races in, and we've had four different winners with still nine MotoGP races still to go. I think it is certainly going to be one of those seasons we'll talk about for many a year, if (laughs) we're not already buzzing with it. Do subscribe to our podcast wherever you download yours from so that you'll never miss an episode of the latest MotoGP analysis. In the meantime, wallow in a fantastic MotoGP season where history is being made week after week. We'll speak to you soon. Goodbye for now.